Our leader for tonight is Carol. Hi, everybody. My name is Carol, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hey, Hi, Hi, everybody. It's great to be here. Happy New Year. Uh, so let me start by qualifying. By the grace of God, on Saturday, I will have 32 years of abstinence. And when I came into this program, I definitely qualify for this program and also for this meeting. I weighed about 130 or so or 140 pounds more than I do now. And I'm very grateful that I haven't had to eat intentionally sugar or high starch foods as, as that is my abstinence. No flour, no high starch foods, and no sugar or honey or any of its you know, similar type things. So um, a couple things I'm just really, before I, I'm going to go back to what, ha, what it was like, but I want to say a couple words about what happened because uh, that really, being at this meeting really bring up for me. I'm very, very grateful for this meeting in particular. It's always been here. It was not always at this location. But since I've been in the program, there's been a century meeting on Tuesday nights. And two of the moments that were so important for me, two of the many moments in my early recovery, was somebody coming up to me and telling me about these century meetings for people who'd been or, or were 100 pounds or more overweight. And my first reaction was kind of surprise. I mean, I wasn't angry at him, but like I, I knew I was really fat. That's really all I knew. But I never really thought about what like I didn't wasn't exactly looking up charts to see what my normal weight should be and subtracting, you know, like and then I go, oh yeah, I was way more than a hundred pounds overweight. So I wasn't like angry or well, what me? You know, it just sort of um connected in in a certain way that I'd never really thought about before. And then the other thing was a <coughs> was a woman telling me she'd lost over 100 pounds in OA and looking at her slim body. It's not only about the weight, but it's also about the weight when you've been as heavy as me and to have that kind of evidence. And yet it had a totally different feel from like commercial diet clubs where they put up pro, you know pictures of this one before and after because that person so clearly was there was no ego like, oh, aren't I great? Her only goal was to be of service to me and that was what came through when she said that. And that's why I talk about my the, the weight I released to, for that same reason. It's, it's a total miracle. So um, I want to send around my pictures. Um, what, a couple things strike me about those pictures. Um, by the grace of God, it has been 32 years. So the last few years, what's really struck me is like I was really young in those pictures. <laughs> and on the one hand, like I was... was even though it was, I was extremely unhealthy, my body was 28 years old when I came in, so there was a certain amount of resiliency that I was blessed but with. But also, it, when I look at that, those pictures, not only the size of my body, but the pain in my face, physical and emotional, I think about that Bob Dylan line, oh, but I was so much older then, I'm younger than that now. And that's so totally how I feel. Um, and the other reflection on that is there's another picture I look for. I couldn't find it, so of course I'll probably find it as soon as I go home, which I count as part of my before pictures because it was two weeks abstinent. So I was still extremely obese. I probably didn't look any weight difference, wouldn't have shown in the pictures. But I was looking right at the camera, and I had a genuine smile on my face because I was abstinent. I wouldn't have known that was why, but I was free. And that is, shows you just something about it. Um, most of the time, I avoided having my picture taken. So those were some people managed to catch me. Okay, so let me go back. I always had an unhealthy relationship with food, although I didn't know words like that. I perceived as myself as always fat. I didn't know the words like obese or whatever. When I look back at pictures, that is not true. I was not an obese child, but I probably was an overweight one. And um, I know that I never had a normal relationship about food or my body at all. 
Um, I remember things by their food, <laughs> you know, which is kind of weird. I always feel like I could be a food spy for the CIA, you know, um, that I know like this place my family sometimes went on weekends. I, could I tell you what the pool looked like or what we did there? No, but I just have this very clear visceral memory of what the soda machine looked like and how you, or some kind of sweet drink thing and how you put the money in and pulled the bottle out and what it smelled like, like it was yesterday. And that's weird, <laughs> you know? And, you know, and um, I, as I said, I always had an unhealthy relationship with food and I knew like when I was, 10 years old, I must have been overweight because the, I remember the doctor saying to me that I should go on a diet because do you want the other kids to call you fatso? Well, besides that that was hurtful, I also knew I did not have the language at age 10 to articulate it. I also knew the two things he was saying did not connect with each other. Did I want to be called names? Of course not. Could I therefore go on a diet? No. And I kind of knew that. But again, I was far from being able to articulate it. But just when I look back, that's what was going on. I want to say that for me, while I was more, start, I don't feel for me it's useful to know why I am a compulsive overeater. I was more fanatical when I was new in I don't want to talk about reasons, I don't know, doesn't matter why. The reason I was like that is because most of the people I heard focusing on why they ate didn't have what I wanted. I'm just going to be really blunt. That, wasn't, that didn't seem to be, at least in what I observed, the path to recovery. And in my own history, when I was at my top weight, and my weight did progressively get worse, and I became severely obese, as I said, uh, I would take out different books on like the psychology of obesity or overeating, decide I had that disease, and then the next book I'd decide I had that mental illness, and it made me feel worse. It made me feel hopeless. I thought, by the time I figure this out, I'll be dead. And it was such a relief that I didn't have to know why. So the way that what I've heard and what I believe for myself to be true is a saying I heard in AA, if you're in a building that's on fire, this is not time to figure out how the fire got started. It's time to get out of the building. Now, I also have come to believe with doing more step work that there are reasons and that those are useful to know only after the fact. Like, so the way I look at it is I sort of added to the burning building thing is only when the fire is totally out. I repeat, only when the fire is completely out, which means, abs for me, abstinence for a while and solidity in my abstinence, the, you know, the fire department does sometimes does go by and investigate. And that actually still won't help you put out the fire, but it might help you figure out to stop another fire from getting started. You know, so for me, there was a strong genetic predisposition. It doesn't just run in my family. I say it gallops, you know. There was, you know, morbid obesity, et cetera. Obesity and morbid obesity on both sides of the family. I believe there are emotional factors, too. My parents were good, loving people, but there, there wasn't, like, the depth. It was always, oh, don't be upset, honey. Like, really deep feelings weren't talked about. As well as my feelings about being overweight, and increasingly so, added to the mix. And I could see many years later the way my parents meant well but wounded me. So I'm sure there were emotional factors strong genetic predisposition. Um, and I still think, I'm still, as much as I, I've softened on are there reasons, but I still feel as strongly as ever that, that not only don't I need to know why to stop, focusing too much on why is an obstacle to stopping for me. So I still firmly believe that for myself. And the other, though, experience in terms of why that I don't hear spoken a lot. Some people talk about genetics, some people talk about emotional reasons. I had modeled for me extremely unhealthy eating habits in my family of origin. You know, everything was instant. A good restaurant served big portions, you know. It was definitely not a healthy model at all. So that's also a factor. Um, so as time went on, 
it be- I became more and more, um, the weight got worse and worse. And at first I told myself, well, when I really, when I'm ready, quote unquote, I'll go on a diet and lose the weight. Of course I was never ready. So at age 15, when I probably was not that overweight, but I, I felt huge, but when I look at, I was overweight, but I looked at pictures probably was not nearly that as, as, as severe as it became. I went to my first commercial diet and from then on, although I spent most of the time binging, I always in my mind was on a diet, planning the next diet, or going to figure out the diet that worked. 13 years later, when I came into the program, I weighed about 100 pounds more than when the diet era started. Now, that would make you feel like maybe dieting wasn't working. But while I was in it, I didn't know any of that. First of all, I didn't know how much I weighed. Even though I did weigh myself, I would never really let the number penetrate into my skull. Um, you know, I would get weighed at the doctors or whatever. And um, the diet, I had a couple of quote-unquote successful diets. Of course, I would then, interestingly, the ones that worked wound up being like, there was kind of a modified fast. And I realized now it probably worked because by happenstance, I wasn't eating the foods I was addicted to, but it was by accident. And as soon as I went off it and took them back, I gained more weight. But I really, it really, the diet era didn't work. And it's important to say here in this meeting where we're designed for century people is the obesity, how, how incredibly painful that is, physically painful. I couldn't walk a few, up like half a block hill without, you know, I could barely speak after that. And I, where I worked in, at that time in downtown San Francisco, I would be afraid of meeting someone from my place of employment if I was on the up climb because I couldn't really speak to them because I was so out of breath. I would wake up in the middle of the night choking for breath. I later learned that's called sleep apnea. I didn't, I didn't know what that was called, but I, I suffered from it and was also very emotionally out of it, was starting to have blood work numbers, which were for somebody 20 or 30 or 40 years older than I was. And, you know, things were not going well. And having said that, how painful the weight is. How, how many minutes have I done? Just a 10? Just about 10. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. Um, the weight is a terribly, terribly painful thing that causes, thank you, serious emotional and physical consequences. It's only the second worst thing. It's really, really bad. It's only the second worst thing. The worst thing was the way food was driving me. You know, sometimes I would go into a store and give myself permission because the diet was starting next Monday, and then I'd walk out of the store because I couldn't find anything to satisfy me, but I wasn't happy. Like, I was driven by the food. I used to think if there was a pill that I could eat anything I wanted and be a normal weight, I'd be thrilled, but I now know that would be misery because of the way the food drove me. It's like, I didn't know there was a monkey on my back till it got off and I started to experience freedom. And that's why I was saying about that picture when I was two weeks abstinent and still very overweight, I was living free for the first time in my life and it felt so good. So yes, it's about the weight, but most of all, it's about the food. It's about the way I ate. I got severely obese because I ate a tremendously more amount of food for my body than I needed. There's not a moral issue. It's because I have a disease. So the, the, the weight is a symptom of eating too much. What happened? I had, um, oh, one thing I want to say about what happened. I, anytime I saw a sign, anything about dieting or weight, I hated it. I just totally hated it, with one exception. I saw a sign, and it said, a little tear thing on the bottom with phone numbers like they used to have, are you addicted to food? <coughs> that was an OA sign. It was the only one and only sign of any kind of food or weight-related thing that made me stop in my tracks and go, yeah. 
like it didn't upset me because I, I some there was there was some I was getting some gift of being able to hear the truth and when I heard that truth I knew it was true. I later found out the person who ran around San Francisco putting up that sign was the person who became my sponsor, which is kind of a good bit of serendipity. Um, I didn't go in the program then, but I never forgot that sign. I got into the program through AA. I had a cousin who had gotten sober and clean from her drug. Actually, I saw the way the program principles really work. She would addicted to cocaine, sort of white-knuckled it and got clean, but she didn't have program and she was kind of crazy, what I would now know to call a dry drunk. And I wound up helping her with something professional that I, in my, the field I was doing at the time, so it made me feel good I could kind of be in control and help her. Then she went to AA and started getting saner and calmer and happier, and all of a sudden I wasn't that necessary for her. I felt bad. Anyway, she 12-stepped me through AA. She didn't need OA, but she knew about it from her friends. When I was visiting her in Los Angeles in the winter of uh, December 1986, uh, she, I went with her to an AA meeting because this felt safe, like seeing what she was into. And before every time, uh, right before the speaker began, she whispered at me in my ear, every time he says alcohol, think food. This is now a common idea, but it was completely like new. Like the way I think of it, she whispered it in this ear and it didn't fall out the other. Like it actually <laughs> stayed in there. And I don't know what I thought AA would be. Maybe it was from like bad movies. I just thought it would be a lot of sad people and black light and moaning, oh, I'm an alcoholic and all this stuff. It was It seemed to me like there were thousands of people. Probably wasn't that many because I was so impressed by it. It was happy happy people and they were happy that they didn't have to drink and I related completely even though the details of their story was different because I had so much weight to lose I thought of like a diet quote-unquote as like awaiting execution this long bleak period of deprivation something flipped in my brain what a miracle and it was started with those people at the AA meeting they were overjoyed they were thrilled there's no word to describe how happy they were that they didn't have to drink and they would start it like they had a countdown from 30 days sober to 40 years, you know, and they all were happy about the same thing, not having to drink. And it flipped for me. And I did have two weeks of the worst eating in my life because it wasn't the first Monday in January yet, but I didn't enjoy it. And I was kind of relieved when I finished the one more binge before the Monday ritual. But something flipped and I became grateful that I didn't have to eat. So I went to my first OA meeting, January 5th of 1987, and the, you know, the speaker I related right away talked about deciding I, I won't go to this so-and-so store with a binge food if there's a parking spot, and then going around the block 10 times and triple parking and going in anyway. I understood that way of thinking. And somehow I actually knew, I realized this much later, my, who even knew I had a body? Because in my family, we only had heads. But I knew in my body that I was in the right place and it would work. This makes no sense. Nothing had ever worked before. But somehow I actually knew. But I was afraid to even say it to myself, like jinx, you know? <laughs> Two weeks later, when I started to keep a journal, which I still keep to this day, different formats, but I still keep it, I wrote, I really think this is working. Like I didn't even want to write the words down because I was so like afraid it was so precious, you know? But I knew that I was in the right place. And fortunately for me, although my food claim plan became more refined as time went on, I started with this thing they read at the meeting. I wish they still read it. We suggest three meals a day, nothing in between, and abstaining from the personal binge foods. So I hadn't eaten actually that day because it was typical for me to skip breakfast and lunch and just eat all night. But I went home and had, oh, no, I know. I'd, I'd had a healthy-ish dinner before I came over from work. And I went home and didn't eat. And that was like already amazing. And that was my first day of abstinence. And that was what I started with, three meals a day, nothing in between. 
Um, I totally threw my, I can't explain this. I, I'm just telling you what happened, but this is a grace. I learned to pray later. I didn't even say, please, God, make me abstinent. I prayed many times after to stay abstinent. But in that moment, I can't explain it. One day, I could not walk across the room without putting food in my mouth. And since January 5th of 1987, I haven't had to live that way. And I don't know that I can explain it, but my old friend Bill, rest in peace, used to say, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Because people like you don't get a second chance. And he didn't say that to scare me. He said that to be of service to me. And so I just want to, by the grace of God, keep what I'm, keep what I'm doing. Um, I did wind up over time, over like that first year, uh, like I still tried to hold on to bread a little bit that first year. I had, wasn't eating sugar, but like certain things that I put on, I put on chicken. I looked at it when I was off the heavy sugar and I saw, oh my God, sugar's the second ingredient. So I stopped, thank God, stopped eating it. But I basically have a low carb food plan. And the person who became my sponsor and some of my other mentors had that kind of food plan. And lest anyone think, first of all, there were no required food plans when I came in. Nobody told me to do that. And I was so surrendered. And I would have probably done it if my sponsor told me to. But she was very smart. And she just told me to pray for guidance. And everybody said, pray for guidance. But she did say one thing that helped me. She said, if you give up this food, these foods, would you feel like it was giving up your right arm? And I quickly, without thinking, said yes, thinking, well, of course, you have to keep your right arm. But only later did I realize that meant I was too attached to it. But <laughs> the decision really came from me. Um, a couple things about also that helped me both my sponsor and other people were, I don't like this thing about tough love or love, not love. It's just love that says in the big book and the doctor's opinion, frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. I kind of grew up with frothy emotional appeal, that the message that holds these people has to have depth and weight. So I needed people to be real with me and strong, loving in their manner, but strong in their message. You know, And that's what I hope to convey to, to other people as well. Always kind and patient, but also knowing this disease will kill me and I can't have any compromises with it. Something that's really important also that I want to say about my experience when I was new, especially, and I just put this out in case it's helpful to anyone here. I, had, I didn't have too much physical withdrawal symptoms from food, but I had pretty surreal, severe emotional withdrawal from food. I'm sure that first year I was certifiable, and it's good for me I didn't go into an ER because they would have sent me right up to where they lock you, you know. But what my sponsor and the other people who helped help me were so good at is reassuring me this was a symptom of my recovery. It's because I was getting off the food. My sponsor used to say, if you were six months off heroin, you'd be grateful you could get out of bed and tie your shoes. And that's that. And I say that because I think the disease plays a trick. It says in that same doctor's opinion I just quoted that. When the alcoholic, for me, the food act is not using, their natural state is to be restless, irritable, and discontented. And they feel this way unless they take another drink or have another binge. So basically, not eating, I became restless, irritable, and discontented. There is a solution. The solution is in the steps, but it does take time. So the disease says to us, you see, you're upset, you're restless, irritable, and discontented, you gotta eat. And I get mad at the disease because it's messed with my friends and it would mess with me too. But the fact is I was upset because I wasn't eating. So that's the trick the disease plays, that, the, that, that discontent, that restlessness, that uncomfortableness comes from not eating and there is a way through, you know, and patience. And I had such loving sponsors and other people who would help me and I would just basically call up and go, and they'd say, yes, dear, you're doing fine. <laughs> you know, and it just was so reassuring to be told that my insane, insane reaction was perfectly true, was perfectly normal. 
um, for the situation. And the other piece of information, like I said about that sign that made me stop in my tracks, was that I'm an addict with food, that a thou one is too many and a thousand ain't enough that it is the softer, easier way not to eat the foods I'm addicted to. It really is the softer. It's the, and to have clear boundaries around my food is the most loving, compassionate thing I could possibly do for myself. Um, so what it's like now, I never leave enough time for this, so I'll, um, I have moments of real joy. I do not feel joyful all the time, which I somehow thought was in the promises or I should get that if I was here long enough. It doesn't say that. But what I like to remember, it says in the promises, and for those who are new, that's a part of the AA Big Book that I also believe in, that says these are the things that happen to us as we work the steps. One of the things it says is we will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. It does not say, as many times as I read it, we'll always be serene and peaceful. I'm just going to understand what the word means. I will know peace. I'll be familiar with the state of peace. And that has come. That has really come. And so my life is beyond my wildest dreams. But it is not a magical life without pain. I don't have everything I want. But I have so much joy that I couldn't even tell you. The steps not only work across many different cultures and languages, they work across 32 years of Carol. You know, as I've changed, you know, I, I, I can myself have completely different opinions that it doesn't matter. You know, physical, it's really important to know that I'm an addict and also rules of biology apply to me, like having to eat less food to stay the same weight, which I hate this rule of life, but it seems to be the way the higher power has done it. So I have had to reduce my food over the last few years and lost some weight and probably, it, it's probably time to do that again, you know, but um, that is also just like most people who age who don't have a food addiction, you know. Um, and that's how that goes. You know, I used to, my mom had this disease, my aunt not as much, and she and her buddies would go out to eat and when they were older and they would cut the meal like in half before they even ate it and the rest was lunch the next day. Like that was just what they like had to do. So it just makes me normal. Um, emotional, probably the biggest gift, I didn't leave enough time to do this, is in the steps, taking responsibilities from our actions and reactions. I would tell my first sponsor what was going on. She'd always listen compassionately and then say, have you looked at your parts? Have you done your 10th step? Nothing is more empowering since, and I always have a part. Even if I didn't do anything, I have a reaction. Or if this person's such a jerk, why am I hanging out with them? If there's someone I can't avoid, like a boss, knowing they're like this way, what, they're like this, why do I let them get to me? I have choices in how I react, and that is so empowering. I also don't want to make it sound like emotional and physical is so different because the three elements and spiritual are all integrated for me. People talk about this emotional thing happened and I had to eat over it. It's not how I look at the disease. Maybe some do, but I at least want to open people's minds or share my experience around the reverse that abstinence is the most emotionally solid thing in my life. It creates, it's the, it's the source of my serenity. You know, my, my father died when I was a year abstinent and I went back to New York. And the first thing that I did was go to the store to get my abstinent food. And it was like grounding. It was like solidifying. I stand on something. And so it's just a really, really beautiful thing. Spiritually, I know less about God probably than when I came in, and that's okay. It doesn't much matter what I believe. I find, I've studied religion now in a pretty serious way, and I love it, and it's fascinating. It doesn't matter for my program. I can think whatever I want. What seems to matter most is what I do. 
So I don't know if I believe God is like a person who you could pray to, but I pray to God as if God is a person that you could pray to, and it seems to help me feel better, whether it's whatever the reasoning is. You know, so, so anyway, I'm just so grateful to be here. I'm so grateful for all the people on whose shoulders I stand uh, in this fellowship and in the fellowship of AA that our fellowship is founded on. I am so grateful for everything I've been given. Thank you. Thank you.